Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, Justin Jackson. In next week's episode, we're talking about the NFL Week 10. We'll be discussing what's going on in NFL Week 11, along with some news. We'll be talking about the NBA, and we'll have our Jack's Hot Take and our Jack's Pack. Pretty loaded show. As always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on the post notifications for Justin Time Sports on all your favorite social medias. Now, as always, don't forget to sit back and get ready to learn something. Episode 34 of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, again, we were talking about the NFL, the NBA. We got some Jack's hot take. We got some Jack's pack. We have LSU freshman guard Michaela Williams scoring 42 points in only her fourth college game. We've got USC freshman guard Juju Watkins scoring 30 twice in two of her first four, three or four games. Um... We have all kind of stuff happening all over the place. We have Win BB Chet tonight. Uh, we have all kind of stuff happening all over the NFL landscape, all over the sports landscape, rather, uh, all over the country at all different levels. Uh, most high school football leagues are in their playoffs. Uh, if you're in Louisiana, you're in the second round now. Uh, so all kind of stuff is happening all over the place. Basketball starting up a lot of places as well. But let's jump right into NFL Week 10. Let's start with the last game of Week 10. Let's start with Monday Night Football. Uh, the Bills are a mess. Something in there. It's not even a mess. It's kind of funny. Something in there is wrong. And I don't think the Bills know how to fix it. Like, it's like when we got a bad house. And we got a bad car. And, like, you can smell some fumes coming in. And you change a window. And then you go, that might not be it. There's a running bad. And you change a rim. And you're like, no. Still running bad. Still smell that terrible gas smell. What could it be next? And then you like, change a windshield. And you never actually open the hood to find what the problem is. It's kind of what the bills are doing. Because... You are, you see, you turn the ball over four times against Denver, and still you should have won the game. But hilariously, you play with 12 people on the missed field goal attempt by Will Lutz. He gets a re-kick and drills it. And then you, today, Tuesday, fire Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator. You have... A top seven D offense in most metrics, which means you had twenty five percent of the you're in the top twenty five percentile of the league in most metrics, top three in a lot of them, top five in most of them, and you fired the offense coordinator. Granted, there was fumbles all over the place, 
there was a couple of horrible interceptions, and yet you fire the offensive coordinator. Interesting. Very interesting. The Bills are absolutely hilarious. And it's kind of painful in a way because they're 13 seconds from glory. Maybe, and that's, you know, there's that playoff game versus Mahomes. They're 13 seconds away from beating them. Then they have to go beat Burrow to get to the Super Bowl. Maybe they go lose to Joe Burrow the very next week in Cincinnati, and they never make it to the Super Bowl. But more than likely, the hot as they were, they go beat the Bengals. They're in the Super Bowl. Who knows? They may beat the Rams. And we're looking at this whole operation in Buffalo differently. Instead, Patrick Mahomes gets the field goal in 13 seconds. The Chiefs win. The Bills never sniff that level of success again. Brian Dable ultimately joins the Giants, which he may be available after this season. Brian Dable ultimately joins the Giants. Josh Allen reverts back to his roller coaster interception turnover ways. And the Bills look like the Bills of the 90s again. Incredibly talented, but something's wrong, and they'll never win the big one. It's, it's a little painful if you're a Bills fan. I know a Bills fan that said that just today that the organization fired the wrong person. That they should have gotten rid of Josh Allen. They're scrambling right now. This was a year the Patriots are tanking. The Jets had lost Aaron Rodgers the first series of the year. Even though he's trying to come back in mid-December or whatever. And the Dolphins have holes. Even with even with two of being healthy all year, the Dolphins have issues. This would be a great year for the Bills to run away and hide with the division and get a home playoff game. Instead, they're currently 10th in the AFC and a lot of winning records left on their schedule. They're looking at not making the playoffs. You know, like Josh Allen just didn't get paid a quarter billion dollars. Disastrous would be an understatement. It's the kind of thing that gets coaches fired and GMs removed. It's the kind of thing that gets superstar siblings to say, get my brother out of there. Now, of course, and obviously, Trayvon Diggs didn't just tweet that off the top of his head. You probably heard from Stefan that it's not very sweet in Buffalo. And he even tweeted out there, remember, buddy, didn't start going off until my brother got there. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in Buffalo. I really don't. They're a hilarious organization. It's like everything they do is funny. Like, I've never seen that much hilariousness happen at one time. And they tend to do it on a regular basis. It's kind of enjoyable. Funny. Makes, makes Bill's fans in my life very upset. But it's rather enjoyable. I think the Bills need to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Um, and until they get through that point in life, they're going to be in a bad spot. Because uh, I don't think they know what they want to do, <coughs> want to do in the slightest. Um, and that's going to make them struggle pretty much to do anything successful in the NFL, ultimately. Um, if you're a Bills fan, buckle up. I don't see it getting better. You fired a good offensive coordinator. Now you're going to hire Joe Brady, who failed as an NFL OC. Now you're going to promote him up. Can't even really run his offense because he's running Ken Dorsey's stuff. I don't get the plan in Buffalo, uh, but we're going to find out sooner rather than later. But switching gears, uh, Mike Tomlin should be getting Coach of the Year consideration if he's not. Um, they have literally no business being 6-3, and three, yet he somehow has the Pittsburgh Steelers 6-3. and three. 
everyone in the world wants the offensive coordinator fired. He's in the toughest division in football. And yet, somehow, some way, he stands at 6-3. and three. Uh, I don't get it. Mike Tomlin, to me, is Belichick, Reed, and if you all go, who's that third coach? It's Tomlin. He's never had a losing record. Ever. He's had Mason Rudolph as a quarterback for a substantial amount of the season. He found a way to win eight games. Now, even with the 17-game schedule, he finds a way to win nine. I mean, I kind of laugh. I said he'll figure out how to go eight, eight, and one every year. Um, but he's just chugging on along. He's at six and three. Um, going into a game this week against the Browns, which we'll discuss later. And he's just chugging on along. I mean, Mike Tomlin finds a way. He establishes strong culture. He establishes essential leadership. He knows how he wants to play football. He builds his defense correctly. And he's still trying to figure out his offense, but he's a hell of a coach. And he has figured out a way to have his team prepared every single week. Um, and so they are coming in there 6-3. and three. I don't know how. I really don't. I couldn't explain it if you paid me. Uh, but they are there. I mean, besides well-coached and great culture, I mean, other than that, they have no real benefit, no real possibility of being 6-3. and three. Uh, but they have done it. So right now, to me, Mike Town is my coach of the year. He's doing a miracle job in Pittsburgh. All right. I know you guys have been waiting. Uh, so I'm going to address it. Brock Purdy looked damn good last week. Nah, just, I know. Right on the heels of my rant. He looked damn good last week. He did. Can't even admit that. I have 49ers fans slandering me and Asked me if I even watched the games because they put up some statistics about Purdy through his first 17 games and his record and his yards per attempt and all the other advanced analytics. Whatever. Literally, my question, my integrity is being is in question right now. Whatever. Whatever. Uh, Sunday was not a good look. He needed over Trevor Lawrence. It was not a great look. Had a whole like thing pinned on the fact that Lawrence is just more talented than Purdy, and it was the whole thing. <sighs> it wasn't a good one. But, but, my point, my my, my point remains. I, I made two major points in that rant, if people remember. My point remains. Number one, Kyle Shanahan after a bye is a damn good coach. Most good coaches are. You don't want to play them after a bye. Shanahan after a bye had every offensive button pushed, ready to go. People just running wide open pretty much all game. He had the Niners prepared, especially offensively, uh, to come into that game prepared to kick the Jaguars' butts. He had them ready to go. I can't, I can't have one singular qualm about how he had them ready to go uh, in that game. Kudos to him. However... Debo Samuel showed back up, and Brock Purdy magically got a lot better. I'm happy for the kid. Truly, I am. I mean, I know I had a whole rant about him, slandering him, calling him Mr. Irrelevant, which he is. Um, pretty much talking about how he's a product of the system, which he is, and how he's a product-based environment, which he is. But he had a great game. And honestly, it wasn't even that great of a game. The team did so well, he kind of just steered the ship, which is all they ought him to do. 
But my issue lies on a couple of things with Mr. Purdy. For one, when he came back to a semi-simple reality, which, by the way, Niners fans are telling me that he has the worst O-line league without Trent Williams, like the Patriots line doesn't exist. Um, but whatever. Um, Jacksonville line is no great line. Have you seen Tennessee's? Um, Giants, maybe? But actually, they ain't no there. Jets? Um, but again, you know, they have to defend their position at the defend Brock Purdy, so do it, do it, they must. But he came back into reality. The offensive line is not great. You don't have every great weapon. You're running back. You still have that great running back, but you don't have every great weapon. And your line's not perfect. And he bottomed out. And then he gets some of that stuff back. And he's amazing. Or good, rather. Not necessarily amazing, but good. It's almost as if I was right all along, which is he's in the re- in the reality that has been created in San Francisco with the best this, the best that, the most highest paid this, the highest paid that, the top this. He looks like an elite level quarterback. You take take a little bit of that away, he looks like Mister Irrelevant. Niners fans, I'm not hating on Brock Purdy. I care less. He's going to disappoint you. Not his fault. It's not his fault. It's your fault. You're putting him in a position he cannot be successful in. At no, at no time, will Mr. Purdy be successful in that position. He can't. He's less talented than Jimmy Garoppolo. Even when Jimmy G was healthy, so it always came up just a little short. Even if Brock Purdy's on his A game, it's gonna come up just a little short. It's not personal. It's the way it goes. It's a big dog. And then there's everyone else. Purdy's the strong everyone else. But it's okay. Niners fans, blow it away. Enjoy yourself, really. I hope you have the time of your life enjoying the victory that you have so earned. The victory laps that you have so merited behind Brock Purdy, that you have desired behind Brock Purdy. I hope they give you all the satisfaction you need. In the end, it doesn't change my opinion. In the end, it actually ups my opinion. You see, when the days of the Patriots and Tom Brady would carve up somebody, I didn't party. I didn't celebrate. I said, on to the next week. Do it again. See, the issue with Brock Purdy is that you want us to stop and celebrate. Smell the roses. Uh-huh. CJ Stroud's better, considerably. He's just a rookie. You want us to stop and smell the roses? It doesn't work that way. You got to do something. Right now, Freddie has not done anything, especially in that jersey, to prove that he belongs in a certain category. Talks again in that jersey. Let's not lose our minds here. Freddie's solid. That's all he is. He's solid. Middle 15. Let's see what happens with him in the future. I told you guys, they better win before he gets paid. I told y'all that many times. And you start losing that IU. You start losing the Trent Williams. You start losing the Traverius Wards of the world. Like You start losing these guys because you can't afford to pay them. Then what? And all the old pros are gone. And so is Purdy's talent. Switching gears to a feel-good story. 
Uh, Josh Dobbs is actually amazing. I'm not going to lie to you at this point. Um, he had to have the security guard point him towards the locker room for the team. And then he goes and blows the Saints out after the week after learning the cadence on the sideline and blowing the Falcons out. This guy's ridiculous. It's like he's a um, creative player. You know, you just get traded to a new team and magically start balling where real life takes you a little minute to get acclimated and get used to the calls and et cetera. Uh, he's just going in from Jump Street, ready to go, absolutely balling. He's leading the team. He's guiding the team. They've won back-to-back games uh, with him as the, as the primary quarterback. He is all over the field uh, making great plays. And you just continue to add uh, stuff to him. I mean, he making Justin Jefferson back soon. Atlanta may end up making a, not Atlanta, sorry, Minnesota may end up making a little run purely because of Josh Dobbs and his ability to play, to maintain, to be a grown-up, um, absolutely huge from Mr. Dobbs. It's really amazing what he has going on right now. Justin Herbert, he needs some help. He needs some help. It's ridiculous at this point. Every time he wants to be successful, put up 38 points in a game and lost why? His defense gave up 41. If they give up 28 or less, he's like 22 and 6. And yet his career win percentage is below 500 because they give up a lot of points often. And you've got people, not very smart people, but people slandering him about his him winning games and not winning enough. He would have had to have the greatest offense in history to, to do what he's done. Oh, wait, he does. He's literally the greatest passer to start a career in NFL history. Ever. And yet, somehow, he's to blame for the worst defense to start an NFL career. Also, ever. Look, I'm a Patriots fan. I love Belichick. I trade it to the Chargers right now for two firsts. I think it's a win-win. The New England Patriots can hit a restart button, especially because Chip Kelly's rumored to be fired. Yeah, I, I take him for an interview. But the Patriots hit the restart button with Gerard Mayo, Chip Kelly, and someone else. Belichick gets an opportunity at quarterback that's already developed. He doesn't have to worry about grooming him. He keeps Kellen Moore on as offensive coordinator. He has an offense. He can coach the defense with Derwin James and Khalil Mack and Kenneth Murray and all these other guys. And they can win the game. Herbert finally has a team he can trust defensively. It's a win-win for everybody. Oh, especially because the Patriots will be competing with the Chargers for a while there anyway. So I think that's a win-win situation um, for everybody involved. A win-win-win. Gives Herbert a defense he can trust. He's not winning games. Give Belichick a young, great quarterback. Give the Patriots additional draft picks for the cachet. And also allows Gerard Mayo to move up uh, into the head coach role with Chip Kelly prayfully being interviewed. Uh, C.J. Stroud is ridiculous. Like, I had C.J. Stroud being amazing. This is insane. Uh, he's getting MVP consideration. He's, I think he's at one of the highest voting odds. Uh, Dan Orlovsky said he should be the MVP frontrunner right now. It's ridiculous. Credit to his offensive coordinator for taking him and putting him in a situation he could just deal, wheel and deal. But that was even some situations where it would put your big boy pants on. We're going driving. And he did against Tampa Bay. was ridiculous. Um... He, he made Candace Parker your rookie of the year and MVP in the same season. Um, obviously, it's not been done, I don't think, at all in any male sport. 
Um, but I definitely know that it has not happened in the NFL, and that is what CJ Stroud attempting to do. Um, he's putting his faith into the Lord, and he's just going from there. Absolutely tremendous uh, how well he's been playing. No situation seemed to outphase him. He's only had one down game, and that was against Carolina. I think a lot of pressure with being 1v2 was on. Those games usually don't go well. Uh, so, CJ Stroud is playing out of his mind right now. Uh, congratulations to him. And then a big welcome back to Kyler Murray. For not only did he come back and look like himself, got a great over-the-head shot, dancing around defenders and scrambling for the first down, he got the victory, which potentially saves his job. I mean, he, he's in real time playing for his job. Um, that's pretty insane because if, if they don't make the playoffs, the worst get the number one pick, he's out of there. So the fact that he is literally uh, playing for his job is extra motivation. Um, and so that is something that has to be watched out for. But like I said, kudos to uh, Kyler Murray for just running around, making plays, uh, getting to the first down marker, and keeping the team moving, ultimately winning his comeback game uh, and moving Carolina further away from the possibility of a number one pick. But up next, we're going to shift into NFL Week 12, 11, sorry, NFL Week 11. segment, great A block, discussing last week. Now we're going to jump into this week, including a Thursday night preview between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this whole division is topsy-turvy. This whole division is a war. Uh, currently, I believe everybody would still be in the playoffs if the playoffs started today. Um, Cincinnati, Baltimore, of course, are playing, and the Steelers and the Browns are playing, so the whole AFC North is going at it. Uh, like I said, it starts on Thursday night. Now, the Bengals Took an L to the Houston Texans and everyone's favorite dark horse MVP candidate, C.J. Stroud. Uh, they went in without T. Higgins. They went in without Jamar Chase. Uh, they pretty much only had Tyler Boyd. They were trying to figure it out from there, and it just did not work. D'Amico Ryan did not let it happen. Burrow heated up late, but by the time he figured it out, it was too little, too late. And now you go play Baltimore, one of the hottest teams in the NFL. You still don't have Chase. Or no, take Chase played. You still don't have Higgins. Uh, Chase was a game-time decision. He should be a little healthier for this game. Uh, but you're going to one of the hottest teams in the NFL. That building has tortured people. Ask the Lions. They scored nine or six. Ask um, who went in after that. Oh, I can't think of Baltimore just utterly destroyed. Uh, Detroit. Oh, Seattle. Seattle went in that building and got three. Um, I mean, and Lamar is not even accounting for big touchdowns yet. Uh, which has raised some concern from some of the national media. I personally don't get it. If you're winning, your quarterback's efficient. He's not turning the ball over and you're winning football games. Victory. Especially when an elite playmaker like Lamar, you know he's not going to continue to just puddle on down the lane and put on down the uh, season and not score touchdowns. He's going to eventually heat up. So when he does that, you keep playing like the rest of the team is playing, you've got a pretty unstoppable force. 
Uh, but that is Cincinnati versus Baltimore. Um, I do not believe it is in my Jacks pack. So I am I am going to pick it. It's not in my Jacks pack. Um, and so I think the Baltimore Ravens are going to win this game pretty comfortably. I think they're going to run away and hide with it. Uh, I just don't see how Cincinnati is going to be able to keep up, especially considering that um, they're going to be down. T. Higgins still, Jamar still nursing an injury. Uh, Trey Hendrickson is down for the Bengals as well with the hyperextended knee. He said he's going to try to play. I don't see it happening on a short week. Um, and so I think Baltimore is just going to be too healthy, too fast, too explosive, and too dominant. Uh, they win the game easily 35-17. to 17. I just think they're going to destroy the Bengals in this one, especially in Baltimore. Up next, the other half of the AFC North, the Steelers and Browns. Uh, again, it is in my Jacks pack, so I won't pick it just yet. But this is a game with a lot of intrigue. Uh, Deshaun Watson has moments. He looks like a football demigod. And then he has moments where he looks like he never picked up a football day in his life. Um, and so the Browns defense, anchored by Miles Garrett, is doing everything that they can to keep up with um, the Browns offense. Not keep up with them, but to hold teams down until the uh, Browns offense kicks in. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But the Browns defense is doing a hell of a job trying to hold people down until the Browns offense kicks in. Uh, the Steelers on the other side are doing the same thing, but they know the offense not going to kick in. Uh, Matt Canada, your offensive coordinator, pretty much dooms your offense from Jump Street. And so, because they know Canada's not going to speed it up, and they know uh, Kenny Pickett's only but so talented, they have been fighting the good fight all year as a defense. Um, so, this should be a very defensive game. Um, again, I'm not going to pick the winner or even the score because it is in Jack's pack. We will talk about that in a few minutes. Raiders at Dolphins, another intriguing game. Um, this game is not in my Jacks pack, so we will pick it. Uh, the Raiders are an interesting football team because Antonio Pierce has them playing hot. Uh, they believe in each other right now. They're 2-0 in the Antonio Pierce era. They not only believe in each other, they believe in their head coach, which admittedly should worry you about Josh McDaniels. Uh, but that aside, they believe in themselves and they believe in their head coach. Nothing changed. Nothing changed in the organization besides the fact that Antonio Pierce is there. I mean, nothing changed in the organization besides the fact that they now, like I said, believe in themselves, believe in Antonio Pierce, believe in his message, they're following him. Um, three weeks ago, if that game just happened three weeks ago, the Raiders would have tucked tail. When the Jets kept coming, the Raiders would have tucked tail, infighting would have started, whatever. Devontae Adams, I think, had one catch. Uh, three catches. It was a very small amount of catches, and there was no, like, anger after the game from Devontae. He was running and jumping and smiling, and in the locker room, he was excited. Like, that is what was missing from the Raiders organization with Jasper Davis. They would win games and look angry. I mean, I don't know if that was a certain aura he carried. I don't know if that was a certain demeanor, whether they just didn't like him, you know. But they would win games, and he would look upset. And they would look upset. And they were just kind of like, what are you doing it for? When, even when you're successful, you're angry. Uh, but Antonio Pierce isn't carrying that in. They're excited after wins. And even with poor statistical games, they're excited. Um, this game is hard, like Dan Campbell said. Like, don't. The ugly win, pretty win, whatever. Winning in this league is hard. 
Uh, and so, regardless of how it looks, get the win. And kudos to the Raiders. They've done so 2-0 in the Antonio Pierce era. The Dolphins, on the other hand, kind of floundering a little bit. Uh, they had a poor first half against the Chiefs. Uh, then ended it with some bad tool decisions in the second half. Um, they're just kind of floundering a little bit. All the offensive mojo they had early, kind of the league has kind of figured it out a little bit. And so they're starting to struggle uh, in a similar way the Chiefs did. And the league kind of slowed their offense now. They had to like reinvent it on the fly. Um, and I think the Dolphins going to have to do that as well because the league's starting to kind of figure out what they want to do with Tyreek and Waddle. No Devon AK and it's really allowed them to not overflow on the run looks because the, the guy behind him is not as fast. So I don't have to overcome it on the run, uh, leaving Rick and, leaving and Waddle one-on-one. It's just there's so many different ways they can hurt you when they're healthy, um, even in general. But I think people are starting to figure out some of the scheme, some of the tendencies. And so now they're starting to make plays and to impact uh, the Miami Dolphins offense. And, of course, the defense is what it is, uh, one of the better defensive units in the league. And they've been continuing to show that uh, since they got Jalen Ramsey back specifically. But in this game, I think the Dolphins are going to win and kind of break that Antonio Pierce momentum. What we haven't seen yet was Antonio Pierce coach team that got blown out. Where it's 17 nothing in the first quarter and does a sideline sprinter. And does all the belief and the praise and the honor and everything else he was getting, does that start to fade? Do you start thinking, okay, it's more of the same. It's more of the similar stuff we were used to. Uh, we just had to get into a pattern, basically, play a good football team. Um, you know, maybe the, and who knows what thoughts are going to be, but you want to kind of see a coach in all the areas. And so, Antonio appears going down 14 0 fast. Bam, bam. Tyreek for 60, uh, then a long drive, you're down 14 0. Uh, and you kind of have to make you have the gut check and see what Antonio Pierce can respond. And he battles through that sort of thing. But I've got the Dolphins winning here comfortably. Just too much talent for the Dolphins. Uh, 35 to 20. Just too much talent here for the Dolphins. The only reason why it's not in Jack's pack is Antonio Pierce seems to have the magic button. And I'm not going to be the one attempting. So I do the Dolphins win uh, 35 to 20. Vikings at Broncos. A game that's not in my Jacks pack. To be honest, I'm not even going to pick it. It's just an interesting football game. Uh, you've got the Vikings who seem to have been on some kind of Josh Dobbs, like, victory, I'm going to win thing. And then you have the Broncos who are finding ways to win games, which is exactly the opposite of how it used to be. And they used to find a way to lose games. Uh, so this is incredibly interesting. Uh, in terms of how they are uh, kind of coming into this game, both of them are hot, uh, but for different reasons. Like I said, you have the Vikings, who you know, Josh Dobbs era 2-0, and you have the Broncos, who wins, I, I believe, three straight. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff that's happening right now. Major victories are occurring all over the place in the NFL, um, specifically with these two teams, as they are battling it out right now uh, at every single turn. And so now we're going to see these two organizations kind of come crash course. Somebody's going to have a not-so-fun game. 
just it is what it is. Someone's reality is going to come crashing down, and admittedly, it is going to be painful. But that's what has to happen uh, in order for these two teams to battle each other. They can't tie. Uh, so now we're going to find out who's the better team. Um, and it's, I, I'm not even going to pick it. I, I'm just interested in watching this game because one of those games where you just don't see this every day. Like, you just don't see that level of... What's what I'm looking for here? Uh, you just don't see that level of opportunity uh, with two teams that are going to go at each other in the way that they're going to go at each other. You just don't see that often because a lot of times organizations don't be in that spot where they're kind of in the same spot overall um, between the Vikings and the Broncos. You've got two staffs that's a little eh, two quarterbacks that's a little eh, uh, both for different reasons and so they are going to go at each other. I can't wait to watch this. I'm not even going to pick it. I can't wait to watch it. And then the Eagles and the Chiefs a game again. I'm going to pick this game. I got the Chiefs close. Very close. It's an arrowhead. Uh, Subo rematch. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take the team that won uh, their game. I'm going to take the Chiefs that won their Subo, which was the Chiefs. Uh, roster looks a little bit different. Not a whole lot, though. And I'm just going to take the Chiefs to win that game. It's going to be a battle with the Eagles. The Eagles know what they represent. The Chiefs know what they represent. Both sides are going to be ready to go, ready to bang, and ready to battle. I just think the Chiefs are going to win um, the game in a close one. It's going to be a shootout, though, 30 to 27. Uh, it's going to be an absolute battle between the two sides. Jalen Hurts, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Tush push, spread offense. DeAndre Swift, Isaiah Pacheco. I mean, it is going to be one of those games where D-line is going to be critical because you keep both quarterbacks in the pocket, and both secondaries better be on high alert. A.J. Brown's on a warpath, um, and, of course, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. So those two teams better be ready to go. It's going to be an incredibly interesting showdown. And then some quick hitting news. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings have agreed on a deal to re-sign Anthony Barr with Jordan Hicks heading to injured reserve. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul has signed with the New Orleans Saints practice squad. He's expected to be elevated to the active roster probably for next week. Uh, it's a little fast to get him in now, but he'll probably get in for next week. Uh, the New England Patriots have waived Jack Jones, and in the time I wrote this topic list and in the time I recorded this podcast, uh, he has signed with the uh, – he's been claimed from waivers by the Las Vegas Raiders as his former high school coach, Antonio Pierce, uh, former high school and college coach, Antonio Pierce, picked up Jack Jones. Matt Stafford is back. Uh, the team did agree to a one-year deal with a veteran freezing quarterback, Carson Wentz. However, Matt Stafford is back, and he is ready to play. And lastly, and certainly least, uh, Zay Jones has been arrested on suspicions of domestic battery, or domestic violence, rather. Um, we'll keep you guys updated on the situation as it occurs. But, uh, like I said, certainly uh, last and least. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA. As with the NCAA Tournament Night Part 2 or 3, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down with the association.
Welcome back into the show. And now we're going to discuss the NBA. I'm watching the start of Wimby v. Chet. Um, Oklahoma City versus the Spurs on TNT. Um, but the NBA, we're going to go through the standings as they enter tonight. So obviously not counting tonight, but as they enter tonight. Um, the East, in order, I'm going to go to 11. Uh, so that's 76ers. Boston, Indiana, Miami, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Orlando, New York, Brooklyn, Toronto, then Cleveland. And in the West, we have the Nuggets, the Mavericks, the Timberwolves, the Rockets, shockingly, the Thunder, the Kings, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Suns, the Pelicans. I'm sorry. The Suns, the Pelicans, I have I miswrote my list apparently. Uh, but that's pretty much the uh, West. As it goes there. So, there's um, there's some things that need to be discussed in the NBA. And one of the things that need to be discussed is uh, this whole James Harden thing. First of all, some guy on Bally Sports, Bally Sports Southwest, ripped into James Harden. It was excellent. Uh, people on social media even added the ether zone to it. Made it better. He ripped into James Harden, basically, and the whole point of the speech was everybody can't be a problem. Uh, it's around there with Jay-Z line. So everyone's crazy. Maybe you're the one that's insane. Referring to Kanye. But basically, it's like every situation you're in can't be the problem. You know, you were in Oklahoma City, you got moved to Houston. Okay, that's the, that's the one that I can be like, hey, you didn't have control over that. In Houston, Daryl Morton was your best friend. He gave you literally, that's ridiculous, Wendy. Uh, he gave you literally everything you wanted whenever you wanted it. And then he said, peace out, Daryl Morton, I'm one of my friends in Brooklyn. And then you go to Brooklyn, you don't like it, and you run that's full head of speed back to your best friend in Philadelphia. Um, and then you say, no, screw him. I'm going to go to the Clippers. And now the Sixers are the number one seed in the East currently. They are undefeated since she left. And the Clippers have not won a basketball game since she arrived. Now everyone's slandering you, James Harden, because you don't move off the ball. You're not playing defense. You look like you're holding the entire organization back. You're messing with the rotation of minutes. They're all unfortunate. They got you. They're terrible in the clutch. There's multiple highlights of you airballing air basketballs in the clutch. Including the hilarious one where you wiped your shoes first at a step back air ball. That was entertaining. And you look worse than you've ever looked. I don't know if this is a pull to get more money. Because they haven't, they haven't, for what I know, agreed to a contract with you. So, I don't understand. Are you looking bad on accident? Because if you're not trying to do this, James Harden, you might be cooked. Um, and I'm not one of the people that's like, oh, such and such is cooked after like one bad game this is like four bad games he looks awful as a clipper and he's throwing everybody else off Kawhi Leonard's getting frustrated Russ is getting frustrated because he's getting pulled off for James in big moments and James isn't doing anything which I've noticed I've noticed this a lot about Russell Westbrook if you take him out that's one thing but the person you put in for him better do something and James isn't doing anything so it's just adding to the frustration of him not being in the game even more it's a disaster look. 
I understand why you did the James Harden trade as the Clippers. You didn't really give up a whole lot. And you got a really talented player. Legend. But as far as chemistry-wise, it's like a disaster. Play-wise, he's playing like it's a disaster. It was a gamble. Harden's free after this year. Paul's free after this year. Clyde's free after this year. Russ is free after this year. Neither one of them. And none of them have to come back to your organization at all. And you traded a lot of draft picks you're still paying out the trades for for all four of these gentlemen to piece you out after this season. It's a gamble. It's a hell of a gamble. But the Clippers are willing to do it. He wants to go into that new arena in Inglewood with the with a banner, or at least a really, really talented team to put inside Arena in Inglewood. Um, Speed Bomber does, the owner of the Clippers. But right now, that Harden move didn't work. I said it wasn't going to work from the time that it happened. Update, it's not working. And I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. It's just, it's a disaster. It's a disaster, the Clippers. It's a very Clipper-like thing to do. But, Moving on, uh, the in-season tournament works. It's it's embedded just like the Commissioner's Cup is for the WNBA. Oh, uh, except then just like the WNBA have two extra games for the semifinals and the finals that'll be played in Vegas. Uh, the players are buying into it. Uh, LeBron said they're going after that 500 grand. Uh, you have Steph and Dane talking about you know it, it felt different. The courts are different. The jerseys are different. Um, everything is centered around the fact that this is an in-season tournament game. The guys are getting up for it. They're excited walking in. It's a tournament game. It's a tournament game. Like, guys are up for it. Now, could this be like the All-Star game where the Elam ending was really, really cool the first year? Um, made the players play really, really hard. Like, there's the, to me, iconic shot of LeBron dribbling with Giannis in defensive stands. There's like Spike Lee and Quavo in the background. It's a really cool photo. Um, we're seeing Kobe, we're seeing Gigi basically. Um, 24 was the point total. I mean, it was a really dope situation. They pulled all the young guys off the floor and the vets went at it. I mean, they were fouling people at the end trying to prevent shots. I mean, it was, it was a great basketball. Then by like that third year, everybody kind of just faded off of it, you know. Like, everybody kind of just backed off of it, like, all right, so, yeah, that's, uh, that was fun, basically. It was kind of the vibe. And now they're going back to the tradition of East West. I also think the balance of power has uh, helped out tremendously, and that's helping, uh, and that's helping as well. I think the balance of power is shifting back to kind of a balanced situation, and so that's helping as well, going back to the East-West traditional four-quarter format, and then, um, that's what Adam Silver decided to do. But I think the in-season tournament could be something similar to that, where year one, everybody's buying in. It's new. It's fresh. Um, it did the goal of not adding games, which was the original goal. Um, it did that tremendously and did that well. It gives you know, cool court design, different jerseys for most of the teams, uh, especially if you host. You usually put on a different jersey. 
Um, and it, it's, it's pretty cool. And like, the stars, oh, God, SGA. He almost killed that man. Um, and like I said, the stars are buying into it for the most part. So that's what's making it fun. Uh, but I, I hope they continue to do it. Like I said, the WNBA loves the Commissioner Cup. It's just like it's the end-season tournament uh, for the NBA. So I hope they keep it going. But I hope they either add more money to it and make a million dollars a person. Or they um, do like an automatic playoff bid. Or you get to pick who you play. Like add some real incentives to some of these veteran teams. Say, okay, we're not just going for a chunk of change. We're also going for playoff seating. Uh, playoff positioning. I just imagine if you're the Lakers or you're the Pelicans and you have a history of injuries, you know for a fact I'm in the playoffs. I can go 20 and 62. I'm in. You know what I'm saying? Like, so Sion has a nick. He's out for a month. Make it two months. It doesn't matter. LeBron rolls an ankle. He's out for a week. Make it three weeks. AD's out for two weeks. Make it five. Like, you will do everything you can just to get to April healthy because you know you're in. Uh, so I think that'll be a very big incentive. You can kind of even spread it out over the course of the season so, like, you don't play it all in the first half of the year because now somebody, um, you know, can rest stars. and You kind of you don't make the championship game until, like, end of March. But pretty much the playoff seeding is mostly decided anyway. Um, so that'll be something I think you can incentivize to try and get veteran uh, teams, older teams, uh, want to play in it. Uh, Draymond Green versus Anthony Edwards is hilarious. I guess Draymond's time on it. That's funny. Because these new guys see Draymond as just like a bully who kind of went at people uh, and never really done anything. He's a big talker. He gets thrown out of some games, but he's never really done anything. So I think these new guys are going to continue to test Draymond uh, almost to be like, how real is he? Um, so that's going to be very interesting. And there was some curse words thrown back and forth. Uh, very entertaining stuff. <laughs> And the situation between the two of them. I was going to talk about the Wizards, but then I realized I like myself. So we're going to move right into the NFL Jacks Pack, which is our NFL betting segment, after this quick break. Talk about our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Uh, we did not do our goal last week of 5 0, but we're coming back into you guys with a fresh pack of gambles and bets here. Again, we're big on the point spread. The money line's too easy. Player props change daily. But that point spread, oh, that point spread holds firm. And so we're going to go right into it. You know what I'm saying? No, no, uh, no waiting. We're going to go right into it. Uh, our first game up is Chargers minus three at, versus the Packers. Take the Chargers here. I don't know why this line is so close. The Packers are a mess, to be kind. Uh, kind of a disaster, to be frank. I don't know why this line is so close. Now, I get it. The Chargers organizationally, historically, is a disaster and a mess. But they aren't right now. They're playing for something. Uh, the Packers may be thinking about their next quarterback. Uh, or at least their next weapons for the current quarterback they have. And so, therefore, I just don't understand why this line is so close. Maybe a LA, maybe a LA team going to Green Bay 
might be what's stopping people or what's keeping this line down around three, which is where it is. Um, but I just don't see how nor why uh, this game is a three-point game is it other than the fact that an L.A. team is going across the country into potentially colder weather. But all I got, I mean, I just, if this is a five-and-a-half point line, maybe a six-point line, I mean, that's like my lock of the week. Um, so I haven't done a lock of the week in a while, but my lock of the week is definitely uh, this game, Chargers minus three over the Packers. Take that, triple it. I just don't understand it. But Chargers easily minus three over the Packers. Up next, uh, Bears at Lions. Lions minus 10. Take the Lions. I've done pretty well on the big spreads this year. I hit the Cowboys last week. Uh, I hit another big spread earlier in the year. I've done pretty well on this big spreads this week, so I'm going to keep it going. Usually, if it's over 10, 10 or more, I don't touch it. Uh, but the Lions minus 10 over the Bears, again, feels like an easy one. I just don't see the Bears coming more than 14 points, which means you would have to, 17 points, which means you have to tell me that Bears defense holds the Lions under 27. That's not happening. So Lions minus 10 over the Bears. Who is minus 13 and a half, minus 14? I probably back off of it. Even minus 12, I probably back off of it. But minus 10, I don't see the Bears scoring more than 17, which means the Chargers have to score less than 27. And that just doesn't seem plausible. So I've got the Lions winning. Uh, the Lions minus 10 over the Bears. Jets plus six and a half. At the Bills, take the Jets. Yes, you heard me. Yes, I said take the Jets. I know. I know I'm one of the bigger proponents of saying starting Zach Wilson is professional malfeasance. I get it. Personally, I agree. But right now, the Bills don't know what they want to do with themselves. They have no idea what they want to do with life. What the Jets have is a really good defense that forces turnovers. What the Bills are starting to do right now is turn the ball over. Um, it's at home again. They just lost a heartbreaker to Denver. They had it won and then had 12 men on the field and re-kicked it and then they lost it. They're going through some things right now in Buffalo. New York is kind of strong, hanging on there by a thread. They're battling strong. The defense line is really talented. The defense forces a lot of turnovers. If anything is going to happen, this if, anything, if it's going to be a time for the Jets to keep a game closer than they should, it'll be this week. Now, I think the Bills win the game. But plus six and a half, I don't think the Jets give up more than 20 points here. Maybe 24, which means the Jets have to get to, what, 18? That's plausible for them. Um, I think that the Jets uh, plus six and a half, the Bills win the game all right, but Jets plus six and a half, take the Jets. Steelers plus three and a half at the Browns, take the Steelers. I thought this line would have been six points the other way. I thought it would have been plus three and a half or plus two and a half or minus two and a half Steelers. Minus, even for minus three and a half to minus two and a half Steelers, I would not have guessed Steelers plus money here. Because that's saying even when we decide the Browns are better. Roster-wise, yes. Coaching-wise, no. Mike Thomas putting a Houdini out of his hat. Now he gets an embattled Deshaun Watson. I, I, I'm going to go with the Steelers here to win the game outright. Um, 24 to 20 to 20, 24 to 20. I got the Steelers win the game all right. Like I said, it would have been a minus three and a half for the Steelers. I might have stayed away from it, but plus three and a half for the Steelers? Give me the Steelers. And then Cowboys minus ten and a half at Panthers. Again, I don't know why this line is so close. Give me the Cowboys minus ten and a half here. Did you guys not just start the digital Giants? 
the Giants are on level. Maybe a little worse than the Panthers. The Cowboys are going to destroy the Panthers. Like, the Panthers are awful. The Panthers have one fluky win against the Texans. Or they'd be 0-17 probably. And yet, they got a fluky win over the Texans. A game that may haunt the Texans later in the season. If they're, you know, a game out of the playoffs or something, that, could, that game could ultimately haunt them. Um, it may keep C.J. Stroud out of the MVP discussion. I mean, that was that was a rough outing for them as an organization. If you're Houston Texans. But Carolina has been awful. Dallas has been spectacular, especially against awful. And you're telling me it's only 10 and a half? So I think Dallas might score 35, which means Panthers, in order to keep it 10 and a half, have to score 25? Yeah, that's not happening. Um, so I've got Dallas here pretty comfortably comf- covering the 10 and a half uh, pretty well. So just run back through them one more time. Chargers minus three over the Packers. Lions minus 10 over the Bears. Jets plus six and a half over the Bills. Steelers plus three and a half over the Broncos. Cowboys minus 10 and a half over the Panthers. But up next, I'm going to talk about Jack's hot take, which is going to be a Jaden Daniels for Heisman campaign. segment which is going to be called Jack's, of course it's Jack's hot take but it's going to be about LSU quarterback Jane Daniels winning the Heisman look I may be about this but he did something last week to kind of cherry on top of a historic season he was the first player in FBS history to throw for 365 and 360 plus 350 plus and to run for 200 plus in the same game. He's one of the top passers and one of the top rushers in the FBS. His numbers, his passing numbers are a little bit better than Joe Burrow's at this time in the 2019 season. And that's not even accounting for his legs. And this is a year where there is no dominant Heisman winner. You know, it's not like there's some running back at Bama with 1,600 yards already. Or, you know, Michael Penix doesn't have the statistical just dominance. You know, there's no somebody. Caleb Williams uh, took some L's and his numbers have fallen off. But there's no dominant Heisman winner. I mean, you can make a case for Bo Nix, kind of. uh, But you can also kind of make a case for uh, Michael Penix Jr. as well. Uh, I mean, you got a guy as historic. As Jaden Daniels is right now, I think you have to give it to him. And the losses, people say he's lost three games. You're right. They lost to Florida State, an undefeated team. They lost to Bama, a one loss team. The Ole Miss loss is the worst one, but that is, you know, the worst loss. Tim Tebow won his Heisman for three losses. RG3 won his Heisman for three losses. Johnny Manziel, I think, ended that season with three losses. Three loss precedent. Is, is, it's out there. It exists. To have three losses and win the Heisman Trophy. Usually those years you don't have dominant people. This is a year where no one's dominant. No one's individually 
the best player on the best team, and it's not even close in terms of like you know the ability and the statistical aspect of that person. Um, they're just not there this year. And I think Jane Daniels is the best player in college football right now. He's the most impactful player in college football right now. I think he has to win the Heisman Trophy. Otherwise, it is a massive disservice to the award, and we should just rename it to the best player on the best team. Um, now, I would, I would appreciate, I wouldn't lose my mind if it's Michael Penix, um, but that is probably the only person I will accept it being because he's the best player on the best team. After that, um, Michael Penix is the best player on the undefeated team. Um, uh, the best player on the best team is probably, um, I don't know, is it? Brock Bowers for Georgia, or JJ McCarthy, or Blake Corum for Michigan, Marvin Harris Jr. for Ohio State. Um, so there's some options out there for best player for best team, but I just think that the Heisman Trophy has to be Jane Daniels. What do you want? What more do you want to do? He's carrying an awful offense. I, I, I believe, sorry, awful defense. I believe LSU defense they're ranked in the hundreds, um, which is outlandish for defense of that caliber. He's got two games left. He's got Texas A&M, who's already fired Jimbo Fisher, and he has FCS Georgia Southern. He's going to put up tremendous numbers in those games. And I just think that he, barring Penix, has in a crazy couple of games at the end, or Marvin Harrison Jr. going ballistic, I just think that Jaden Daines is your Heisman Trophy when LSU picks up that third Heisman Trophy in the school history. That is all I have for you guys today. Make sure you follow, like, subscribe, subscribe, and share. Also, rate the podcast. And don't forget to follow and turn on your post notifications for the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.